1 Corinthians 13, and it's going to be verse 4 through 13. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, and the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you, one who is love and displays love, embodies love, and God teaches about love from his word. And, and so, God, we want to just come to you and ask that you would teach us of uh, your love, the love that you show and display uh, in a variety of ways throughout your word as we look tonight of your loving kindness displayed um, through Boaz towards Ruth. God, that we would learn what it looks like to uh, display this loving kindness, having received loving kindness for ourselves. God, what you call us into to, to love you and to love others. So, Lord, would you, would you teach us to love tonight that we would be able to uh, apply what we learn in a variety of ways with the people that we know, with the people that we love, regardless of what our relationship is to uh, the people around us, that, God, we would display the loving kindness of God as it has been given to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God, would you be honored in our gathering here tonight as we worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn in them to the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 2. Last week, we witnessed the homecoming of Naomi. Uh, she came back to Bethlehem, and she brought with her Ruth, and she introduced herself, not as Naomi, but as Mara, which means bitter, because she felt that the Lord had dealt bitterly with her. But what she missed was that the Lord had already gone before her, ready to bless her through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. The author of the book of Ruth tells us they returned to Bethlehem right at the beginning of barley harvest. And the author cues up this first interaction between Ruth and Boaz, where we will see love at first gleam. That's our sermon title for tonight. Love at first gleam. So let's look together at Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 14 says this. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's 
a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Let's pray real quick. Dear Lord, would you teach us of your loving kindness now through the example of Boaz towards Ruth. God, help us to see what you would have for us to see. Help us to glean what you would have for us to glean tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at the beginning of chapter 2, we are introduced to another key figure in the story of Ruth. His name is Boaz, and he is described as a worthy man one who is prominent, noble, wealthy, and influential. He's a relative of the deceased Elimelech, which will come into play later on in our story. Here in verse 1, though, the author of the book of Ruth is giving us, the audience, a heads up about who Boaz is. But Ruth, she doesn't know him yet. When she says in verse 2, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor, she doesn't have Boaz in mind. To be honest, she doesn't have anyone in mind. She is a stranger to Bethlehem. 
She is a Moabite woman in a foreign land. On top of that, she is a barren widow with no prospects. Her hope is that she would find someone kind enough to let her glean from the outskirts of their barley field or the scraps left behind in the harvest. God had set up a welfare system in his law to provide for people like Ruth. We see that in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 10. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. This is reiterated in Deuteronomy 24, 19, put in different words. When you reap your harvest in your field and you forget your sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. Psst, that's Ruth. That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. The Lord's welfare system relied both on the generosity of the landowner and the hard work of the poor. That's how the Lord had set it up. And Ruth is ready to work. She goes to Naomi and asks to go out and glean. Naomi, still stricken with bitterness and despair, all she can say is, go, my daughter. Notice what she doesn't say. Sure, let me go with you. Gleaning a stranger's field can be dangerous for a woman like you. No, not Naomi. Just go. Ruth's work ethic may not have been met with kindness for, uh, by Naomi, but it would be met with kindness by Boaz. Which brings us to verse 3, one of the most theologically playful verses in all of the book of Ruth. <laughs> so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. It just so happened that she came to the field belonging to Boaz. That explanation invites us to see it from a greater perspective, doesn't it? It didn't just happen. God saw fit to make this happen. It's him. He's at work here. And so... She goes and happens upon Boaz's field. In God's mysterious providence, he brings a man and a woman alongside each other in ways we cannot fully comprehend. It hasn't happened to us yet, but we know it when we see it, don't we? In fact, that may be why last week's sermon on bitterness hit so close to home for many of us. We compare ourselves to others our age and younger, who we see go on dates, get engaged, and get married. And while we are genuinely happy for them, we are also often find ourselves envious of them. We wish we had what they had or something even remotely close to it. So we try to manipulate our love life and manufacture something that only God can provide us. 
So if I, if I can offer up a pastoral word to those who are feeling that, it would be, instead of looking for the right person, work on becoming the right person. Instead of looking for the right person, not that there's anything wrong with that, but let, let's work on becoming the right person. Or as I've heard another Bible teacher say, work on becoming the person who you're looking for is looking for. I'll say that again because it can be a little confusing. Work on becoming the person who you're looking for is looking for. Work on becoming the right person. If you think you're done growing, that might be the reason why you're still single. Because pride is a major turnoff. Nobody likes arrogance. We look after humility. That's a virtue that we esteem to others. You have room to grow. In fact, God is merciful to keep you single in this season of life. When you start to view things that way, through that lens, you will see so many other opportunities that are right in front of you to honor God, make much of him in this season of life, and leverage it for all that it's worth. If you work on becoming the right person, you might find that someone just happens into your life in such a way that you were absolutely stunned by God's mysterious providence to make it so. Ruth just happened to come to the field of Boaz. And what we see unfold is how Boaz is lovingly kind to her. And his loving kindness is a rich display of God's loving kindness. And so tonight I want to give you three gleanings about God's loving kindness. Three gleanings about God's loving kindness. The first, God takes notice of you. God takes notice of you. Note how Boaz takes notice of Naomi, or of Ruth. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Do you see how aware Boaz is of others around him? Not just Ruth, but his workers also. He sees them, and he takes notice of them. And not just that, he speaks a blessing over them, that the Lord would be present among them in their work. One of the most caring things you can do in the workplace is take notice of those who are working alongside you. Whether that be a supervisor, a member of the cleanup crew, or the person who still has to lead a Zoom meeting right now. The Lord be with those of you who are still having to suffer through the Zoom life. Boaz then takes notice of Ruth. Whose young woman is this? He asked. And his foreman tells him what he knows. He said, this is, this is the Moabite woman who returned with Naomi. Uh, she asked my permission to glean, and assuming she was given that permission, she worked a long time except for a short rest. In God's loving kindness, he takes notice of you. And he asks, whose are you? 
Whose are you? To whom do you belong? Who lays claim to you? Whose are you? And he knows the answer. You either belong to your Father in heaven or to the Father of lies. You either belong to the Father in heaven or the Father of lies. There is no other option. The Father of lies will keep you striving in deception. Father in heaven. He reveals himself to you so that you can know who you belong to and find peace in him. Your father in heaven takes notice of you. He sees your past, present, and future. He hears your requests. He acknowledges who he made you to be. And he does this so that you would walk in that truth that you are his. That's whose you are. You're his. God takes notice of you and God meets your needs. That's the second gleaning. God meets your needs. Verses eight and nine. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. We see how Boaz meets the needs of Ruth, don't we? Notice three actions Boaz takes for Ruth's sake. He plans, he provides, he protects. He plans, he provides, he protects. Boaz plans. He tells her not to leave or go to another field, but stay close to his female harvesters, who will be more inclined to leave her good grain to glean as they work. This plus, they will give her good company while she does all the gleaning that she has ahead of her. Boaz provides. This is to allow for her to obtain food that she needs to feed herself as well as her mother-in-law, Naomi. But Boaz also grants her access to the water without having to draw it herself. She draws from the water that's already drawn by the men who have poured it into vessels. She can quench her thirst as she works in the hot climate. And then he protects. Boaz protects. He has charged the men not to touch her. He doesn't want his workers harassing her. He leverages his influence to keep her safe so much as he can. He plans, he provides, he protects. How much more does God act in these ways for our sake? He plans, he provides, he protects. God plans from the foundations of the world. He knew you by name. And he plotted out your entire existence for his glory and your good. He planned where you would be born, what family you would have, the friends you would keep around you, when you would hear the gospel and receive it and believe it, what local church you would attend, what, what gifts, spiritual gifts you would have to use in the local church, and how your story would align to so many others. He plans. 
He provides. We saw this from our Sermon on the Mount. How God makes it his business to provide for his people. Jesus draws our attention to the birds of the sky. He says, look at the birds of the sky. They, they don't work. They, they don't store in barns. Yet your father in heaven makes sure that, he, that they are fed. Then he points our attention to the ground, the, the field, the lilies. He says, look at the lilies. Look at how they're clothed in splendor. That is, they're more arrayed than King Solomon in all of his glory. And then he brings it back to his audience. He says, of how much more value are you? Someone made in the image of God who bears inherent worth because of what he has done to create you in his image. Of how much more value are you than birds and lilies? So your father in heaven's going to provide for you. He's going to make sure you have food in your belly. That your thirst is quenched. That you have a shelter above you. That you are clothed. God provides. And God protects. He keeps you safe. He watches over you like a shepherd watches over his sheep. He fights off wolves. And I don't know if you've seen that video of the sheep stuck in the ditch. It's like, that's me. He plucks us out of the ditch. Even when we jump right back into it. He's a shepherd who cares for his sheep. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God plans. He provides. He protects. In his loving kindness, he meets our needs. Why? Why? Because he takes notice of us. When Ruth, or when Boaz meets the needs of Ruth, what does she say? She falls on the ground. She asks the same question we ask. Why have I found favor in your eyes? The answer Boaz gave was, because I noticed you, and I know who you are. Isn't that what he says in verse 11? All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Boaz took notice of Ruth. He met her needs and he kept her close. So we see how God keeps us close. That's our third gleaning. God keeps us close. Verse 12 says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. If we come to the Lord to take refuge, he will keep us close, continuing to take notice of us, continuing to meet our needs and provide for us in his continual presence. And we will find what Ruth finds in Boaz's field, won't we? Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. We find comfort and kindness that we do not deserve 
in the loving kindness of God. That's what awaits us under the wings. When we take refuge, we find comfort and kindness that we don't deserve in his loving kindness. And I love the picture we are left with at the end of this passage in verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. The picture we are given at the end of a hard day's work for Ruth is that that of one of blessing, community, and satisfaction. Blessing, community, and satisfaction. Boaz invites Ruth to sit at his table and dine with him and his reapers. For the first time in a long time, she eats until she is full and she has some left over. The Lord surpasses our expectations. If only we would be present with him at his table. If only we would take refuge under his wings. He would be lovingly kind to us to satisfy. All right. Now, fellas, that's where you say, yeah, yeah. too late now. I might be the only fan of Outcast out here. If there's any song that gets me on the dance floor, it's Hey Y'all by Outcast. Just, let, just letting y'all know. If y'all have any dancing at your weddings that are happening, that's the, that's the song that'll get a Baptist preacher to dance. <laughs> Fellas, three admirable goals for men aspiring to date well. That's what I want to give to you. And the, the reason I get here is because I look at what Boaz is, and not that I want to directly say, all right, be a Boaz. It's not my goal. I, I see plainly that God is calling us to resemble his loving kindness, and we see that in the example of Boaz. And so in looking at that principle of let's be lovingly kind in our relationships, I know that we are in a season of life that lends itself towards this application. That's how I got here. Three admirable goals for men aspiring to date well. With the caveat, you are not Boaz. <laughs> you are not her hero, whoever she is. But you can be a good boyfriend, fiance, and eventually a good husband if you do what Boaz modeled for us as a man who loved God and loved people. So first, take notice of her. Take notice of her. Whose is she? Does she love Jesus or is she putting on a show? Is she a completely different person around her friends? Does she work hard? Do others say nice things about her or are they a little bit closed-lipped when her name comes up in conversation? Now, men, if you want to be in a dating relationship, the best way for you to take notice of a woman is to ask her on a date. 
in person, on a phone call, not in text message, not in the DMs, not in Facebook Messenger. Be bold. Be courageous. Ask her on a date. You aren't signing up for marriage by asking her to coffee. You are saying yes to evaluating whether or not you want to spend more time together. Period. That's it. Do I want to spend more time with this person? That is the task at hand when you ask a girl on a date. Take notice of her. Second, meet her needs. Meet her needs. She may want flowers. She may want a nice dinner. She may want her family to meet you. Those are all good and fair things to ask of you, but they are not necessities. She needs you to plan, to provide, and to protect. She needs you to model these things if she is going to see you as a real prospect for marriage. Plan, provide, protect. Plan. You cannot just wing it. Show intentionality. Plan ahead. And when it comes to dates and special occasions, make the most of your time together by being intentional and planning. Provide. If you're going to provide, you need a job that enables you to budget and pay for dates and gifts and a way of life that just says, I'm an adult. Provide. And then protect. You have to guard your heart and hers if you want to date her well as a Christian. If all you want to do is hook up, I pray that the Lord would draw you away from these people in this place. Christian men are called to sacrificially look after the well-being of another when it comes to dating, because that, that sacrificial life is demanded in biblical marriage. So model it in how you date. Plan, provide, protect. Be that man. Be that man. And then third, keep her close. Keep her close. Assuming she has responded positively toward you taking notice of her and spending quality time with her, you want to keep her close. Be present with her. It should be a blessing to spend time with you because of the way that you treat her. You give her all of your attention. Where, where you, wherever you are, be all there. It's one of my favorite Jim Elliott quotes. Wherever you are, be all there. So put your phone away, ask to hold her hand, watch a sunset at Shelby Farms, cook dinner together, play a round of disc golf, walk around the neighborhood, sit at the table together, and just talk. Spend enough time together like that, and it will become apparent what the Lord's next step for you both is. Keep her close, and you will be absolutely stunned with how God has provided someone for you in his mysterious providence. Okay, now ladies, <laughs> I don't have any clear-cut points for you from this text. 
That doesn't mean that you're just sitting around waiting for your Boaz to come along. The application that all of us can come away with is this. Appreciate the loving kindness of God by modeling it in all your relationships. Appreciate the loving kindness of God by modeling it in all your relationships. God has been lovingly kind to you and how he has taken notice of you, how he's met your every need and kept you intimately close. You don't have to be in a dating relationship with someone to do things like this. I think about how Ruth was lovingly kind to bitter Naomi. She went to work in the fields that day because she wanted to provide for her bitter mother-in-law. Who is someone in your life that you need to notice? Can you picture them? Take notice of them. How can you meet one need of theirs? Not to say that you're about to go glean an entire barley field for them, but you can do one thing that instills value into their life. Who is someone you can keep close and be a blessing to as a friend? We all need people like that in our lives. If you have received the loving kindness of God through Jesus Christ and his saving work, as he shed his blood on the cross to atone for your sins, that you would receive the forgiveness of sins through faith in him, that all that he accomplished, it, it is finished. It's done. That you could live an abundant life in his loving kindness. If you've received that loving kindness, your aim should be to model that loving kindness to others. It's that simple. Not so you can get something out of it. That's not why Jesus died on the cross, to see what he could obtain. Philippians 2 tells us he emptied himself to take the role of a servant. So we can't expect anything in return when we're lovingly kind to people. We do it because it glorifies God and it brings about good in others. May God be honored in how we take notice of someone and how we meet someone's needs and how we keep someone close. May God be glorified in how we are lovingly 